are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. Thank you, Von Bergen family, and thank you, Guy. <clears throat> so, since today is Trinity Sunday, when we remember God is three in one, we're having a Bible quiz with three questions. The sermon title is question number two, so buckle your seatbelts on that one. Question number one is this, what is generally considered to be the most important act event in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. If you were thinking creation, that's a good guess. If you were thinking Ten Commandments, that's a good guess. If you were thinking Jonah and the big fish, maybe, but most biblical scholars think that the Exodus was the primary event, defining event in what we call the Old Testament, the time when the Hebrew people were saved from slavery and oppression in Egypt and brought to the promised land under the leadership of Moses. In this foundational event of faith, we see a God who cares about the people. You'll hear that in the reading. A God who calls people to action. You'll see that how God calls Moses to action. You'll see a God whose desire is salvation, rescuing the people. Salvation that comes through Moses as he leads them to new life. Christians also experience salvation and new life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the one who saves us from sin and death, the one who saves us from foolishness and selfishness, from indifference, and from sleepwalking through life. God acts to save the people. God works through Moses, God works through Jesus, and maybe God even works through us. Our reading today, you heard a little glimpse of it already through Dr. Nick. Um, it's the call of Moses, or the continuing call of Moses by God through this work of salvation. As we read this reading from Exodus chapter 3, some context and background is important. In chapter 2, God has called Moses, and in a somewhat familiar passage in Scripture, Moses feels unsure and unqualified and basically says, No, God, I'm not the person. You've got to send somebody else. And Moses says that about five different times. And God about five different times says, no, you're the one, you can do it. So God is persistent believing in someone when they don't even believe in themselves. It's one of many call stories in the Bible. When God calls someone ordinary to do something extraordinary. What a great faith we have. Secondly, in, in the scripture reading, we notice right away that God sees the suffering of the people. God notices. God feels sadness and pain for the suffering. And God cares very much about our life here on this earth. Sometimes faith is misinterpreted to mean that it only means heaven or some faraway place. God cares very much about where we are right here, right now. Remember, Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The story also suggests, very interestingly, and I wonder if this came up in the Bible study before, beforehand, um, that neither God nor Moses acts on their own. God needs Moses, apparently, to get the ball rolling, and Moses needs God to, to get the ball rolling. 
God needs um, ordinary people like Moses to do great things. I think that's fascinating. So God sends Moses to speak boldly to Pharaoh, who is the political and military leader of the day, calling for freedom and justice. So right away in this foundational tale, we see a God who is sending people to be involved in the world, to be in politics, if you will, to be involved with the powers and principalities of the world. And finally, Moses asks the question, who am I? Identity question. God tries to answer that for Moses. And then Moses asks God, who are you? So human identity and God identity are very important in this biblical narrative. Listen now for God's word from Exodus chapter 3. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. Thanks be to God for the words of scripture. So Bible quiz question number two is arguably the best church joke of all time. Are you ready? On the ride home from church, father and daughter are in the car and the father asks the daughter, honey, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And the girl says, we learned God's name. Father says, really? Father says, really? You learned God's name. What is God's name? And the little girl says, Howard. And the dad says, Howard? And the girl's like, yeah, you know, our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Yeah, how about that? Now, I don't seriously think God's name is Howard, but I do think Trinity Sunday is a good day for us to be thinking about what God's name is and maybe more importantly, what God's identity is. It's a good day for us to think about all those things. Moses asks God what God's name is, and God answers with the rather cryptic, I am who I am. What kind of answer is that? Fortunately, the rest of the Bible has a lot of imagery, a lot of language for God's name, answering that question many times over. For Christians, 
We understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. The doctrine of the Trinity that we're celebrating and recognizing today was established at the Council of Nicaea early in the fourth century for you church history buffs. And that understanding of God is made clear in a few places in the scriptures, including in Matthew's gospel, the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus gives what's known as the Great Commission, words that we say every time we have a baptism, like we're going to have a baptism next Sunday with little Liliana, who's back there, or maybe in the nursery, um, her parents are here. Um, every time we have a, a baptism, we say these words, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them, and remember I'm with you always, right? So that formulation of the Trinity is right there for us as Christians, and we've hung on to that over the years. It's very important for us as God's people. Now, if you're in your 50s or older, like I am, I'm 59, if you're, and you grew up in the church, it's pretty likely that as you grew up, that was the only way that you heard about or understood God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's pretty much what I grew up on. But gradually, theologians, biblical scholars, faithful Christians started exploring the, the scriptures a little more deeply and recognizing that there were other ways to understand God and other names for God that were theologically, biblically appropriate. One of the first ones that came out was creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Understanding, in a sense, God as creator, Jesus as redeemer, and the spirit as sustainer. So a lot of people have used that language over the years, creator, redeemer, and sustainer for God, which is very good language to use. It makes sense in that way. One of the biggest insights that I think we've had is recognizing that God is not an old white man with a beard um, floating around up in heaven, right? But we still, still the, the, um, the mindset for a lot of us um, is pretty strong using male pronouns for God and having a sense that somehow by default God is male. We're, we're kind of wrestling with that. We're kind of in transition with that. And we, we uh, try to figure out the best ways to, to honor the language and honor the tradition while recognizing that God is beyond a, a old white man, so to speak. Well, the reflections on the name of God and the nature of God continued. And in the year 2006, the Presbyterian Church approved a study paper called God's Love Overflowing, based on the Trinity, which pointed out a variety of names for God in the Bible. That might be a little hard to read, but I did put it in the weekly email this week. Maybe you saw that. If you don't get the weekly email and want to, call the church office, email the church office. We'll be happy to, to sign you up. Some of the more engaging Trinitarian concepts in here, lover, beloved, love, speaker, word, breath, overflowing font, living water, flowing river. A lot of great language. I also included in the weekly email the text from a hymn. It's number 11 in your red hymnals in the pews if you want to take a peek at it. Wonderful hymn. Thomas Troger wrote it with all this wonderful imagery and language to describe God. Three verses, three sections that correspond to Father, Son, and Spirit understandings of God. Some of these new words for God and understandings of God might be a little unusual for us, especially those of us who grew up with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but this is the good news of our faith, that God continues to be known in new and different ways, that we can experience God in new and different ways. So my, my third question of the day for the Bible quiz is, which one of these words or phrases might you need to hear? Might you need to ponder this week? 
What one do you want to wrestle with? Maybe you need to think about God as fortress or fountain or root or vine or comforter or counselor. Maybe pick a word or a phrase or two and let that be your, your prayer for the week. The process of thinking about God in new ways reminds me of the watchwords of the Protestant Reformation. We're um, part of that wonderful tradition. And the language that we affirm comes from our Book of Order and comes from the Reformation 500 years ago where we remember the Latin Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda, which means the church reformed always being reformed according to the word of God. That's who we are as God's people. We're a church that has been reformed and we're still in the process of being reformed over and over again. We need to put ourselves in God's hands and say, keep teaching us, keep showing us, keep helping us learn new things because we don't know it all yet. Lord, in your mercy, teach us more. Teach us what we need to know so we can keep thinking in new ways about God and experiencing God in new ways. We can keep thinking about ourselves and our world and our church in new and different ways and not just default to the way we've always done it before or the way we've always thought about things before. We need to keep thinking in new ways. In our society, we've made pretty good progress in several areas. For the most part, for the most part, we collectively no longer think of black people or women or left-handed people or gays or lesbians as second-class citizens in some way, shape, or form, right? We're slowly moving in that same direction as we think about transgender and non-binary people. As I've mentioned previously from this pulpit, I'm still learning in that department, 59 years old, learning comes slowly, but I'm glad for the opportunity to learn, and I'm glad that it's Pride Month this month, giving us a good time for any of us to learn. On social media, I follow the Madison Police Department, and I was pleased to see this week that they changed their profile picture with a rainbow image and saying, policing with pride. How about that? Good for the Madison Police Department. Now, unfortunately, in the comments section, as you know, social media can bring out all sorts of things. The comments, some of them were not very friendly or gracious, so reminding me that we still have some work to do. On another Facebook page, I don't spend all week on Facebook, but I do, you know, it's an important way to stay connected and learn things. There's a a page called Happy to be Presbyterian, and thousands of people are posting there. And this one person from a church in a community that she described as somewhat um, LGBT, not friendly, said that the, the way she put it, let me get the language right here. She said, um, we have been quietly open and affirming for a few, few years now. Today we decided to be a little bit more noticeable. Forgive me, but I'm proud of my church. And it's a Presbyterian church, and I think you can see the colors there, but it says, Jesus welcomed everyone, so do we. The bottom line here is that we need to continue to be open and welcome to new ideas about God, about the world, about ourselves, and about the church. We've learned new images and new names for God, which makes our faith more real, which makes God more real, deeper and richer, helping us to experience God in new ways. And we're learning new ways to understand one another, to celebrate our wonderful diversity, which makes our lives more joyful and more loving. If we can't think in new ways, we'll be in trouble. One more thought. 
late, late addition to the sermon here. Two weeks ago in the sermon, I mentioned a book called Leading Faithful Innovation, um, and it's subtitled Following God into a Hopeful Future. I shared the first chapter with elders. I'm going to share it with a worship committee this afternoon. Um, there's some great ideas in this book. Well, there's a member of this church who cares deeply about this congregation, and they heard me mention it, so they bought a copy of the book. Now, this person describes themselves, this is their description, not mine, they describe themselves as older than Joe Biden. So... <laughs> And the fact that this person wanted to read a book about faithful innovation and change was pleasing to me. They came to church this week and gave me the book, thanked me for suggesting it, and said that I should give it to someone. And the note said, the note with the book said, I enjoyed the book, but I'm not applying for the associate pastor opening. <laughs> Please pass to a church leader that needs help to understand that change is needed. I didn't read that note until after the person left, and I said, thank goodness we serve, I, I serve a church where the leaders recognize that we need to keep changing and thinking in new ways about this church and about the world and even about God. Our life is not static, our faith isn't static, our church isn't static, so we keep listening. Listening for God to speak to us, to teach us, to guide us, to lead us, so we can keep learning about this wonderful love of God and we can keep finding ways to live this love and make it real. Let us pray. Loving God, thank you for you. Thank you for you as one God in three persons known in so many ways. Give us grace to keep learning about you, about one another, about this world so that we can make your love more real. In your name we pray, O oh God. Amen.